Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. Let's open up our Bibles to James chapter 5. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. And I'm going to be sharing about six to eight verses uh, with our church today. Today we're actually going to be concluding the the entire book of James. So for the last eight weeks, if you're here for the first time and you don't know what we've been talking about, so for the last eight weeks we've been going through the entire book of James, and today we conclude on that book, uh, covering the last six verses of the book of James. And I'm excited about that because I don't know about you, but I know that when God uh, has a timely word for us, I mean, there's nothing that can detain it from hitting our hearts. Amen? And so in James chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 13 through 20, and it says this, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, hear me, you will be forgiven. Now look what verse 16 says. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest praise of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three year, years and a half. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. And then verse 19 kind of takes a little bit of a turn. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of of many sins. I want to give you the title to today's message and it's simply this. The answer is. Look at the person next to you. Tell them the answer is. Now look at the person on the other side. Tell them the answer is. Help me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this word that you've given and deposited in our hearts. Um, I pray, Lord, that this word may be much more than information being disseminated, but it may be the transforming of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, amen. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise one more time in this room. The answer is, um, you know, when it comes to the subject of prayer, uh, I've, been, I've actually been serving God for uh, quite a while now. I've been actually in ministry. Can you imagine 18 years I've been in ministry? I know, you, I know you were thinking, like, you've been in ministry since you was one years old? Um, no, I haven't. But... I've been in ministry for about 18 years, and in 18 years, one of the things I realized is that there are patterns to people's prayers. You know what I'm talking about? What I mean is this, is that, is that I've been able to label certain kind of prayers, and throughout my years, I said, man, look, that's this kind of prayer. And the first prayer I want to introduce, maybe you'll recognize it, the first prayer I want to introduce is, Lord, don't come back yet, prayer. Let me explain. I was one day at a Wu-Tang concert. This is a, you know what a... a Lord, don't come back yet, prayer means. If you were raised in a Pentecostal church, you prayed this like 10 times a day right here. All right? This kind of prayer is the kind of prayer that, that you're doing something wrong, and you know it's wrong, and it's going to take a while until you stop doing it, and you're like, Lord, don't come back yet, prayer. Amen? And so, and so I remember I was at a Wu-Tang concert, and I was there and met the males. like, I came to bring the pain. And I was like, Lord... Don't come back yet, prayer. Then there's, then there's a, if you save me this once prayer. You ever had that prayer? The prayer that you're asking God. You're in the middle 
of a terrible situation. I see the smiles. I know what I'm looking at. You guys know you prayed this prayer. You're in the middle of a situation that is going to have some dramatic consequences. And what you say, Lord, save me just this once. And if you've ever been in love, you ain't never been in love unless you've prayed this prayer. Lord, make them love me prayer. Right? You ever prayed that prayer? Lord, I, Lord, make them, like, you, like you've done it with snot coming out of your nose. You know what I'm saying? Lord, <laughs> make them love me, Lord. And, and usually it's attached with this fourth one. I threw it, at, threw it in as a bonus. Is I promise you, Lord. Lord, I promise you that if you make them love me, Lord, I will serve you for the rest of my days. Lord, if you get her to just DM me, Lord, I will go to church every Sunday. You ever prayed that prayer? Come on, you ain't never been in love unless you prayed that prayer. When it comes to prayer, there's so much that can be spoken about throughout the spectrum of prayer and so I love that James is talking to us and he says hey man I want to tell you a couple of things of prayer but the way that James approaches this whole situation is that he's saying he starts off by sounding as if he's stating the obvious answer to a question like have you ever met someone that states the obvious answer to a question that you're asking as if you don't know the answer that they're about to give. Let me give you an example. When I ask my wife, what are you cooking today, baby? It smells so good. She says, food. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were making t-shirt soup. Like, I knew, it, like, oh, baby, you look beautiful today. Where are you going? Outside. Oh, well, thank you, because I thought that you were going to go inside while you were inside. Honey, how was work? Work is work. Oh, because I thought work was something else. Thank you for clarifying for me that work is not what I thought it was, that you made it clear that when I asked, how was work? Work is, is work. Well, just for the record, what I want to tell her is like, just, honey, I know that if you're cooking, is food. I know that if you're leaving, is outside. I know that if you don't breathe, you will die. I know that if you don't eat, you will starve. I know that if you don't drink, you'll die of thirst. And I know if you don't breathe, you're going to pass out. I kind of can get there by myself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So when I read James's first words, look at the way it reads. It says, I love the way the message puts it. Are you hurting? Everybody shout. Pray. Oh, thank you. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. Because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. You know what I mean? Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together and pray again. And I'm saying, James, like you're stating the obvious. This is something clearly that we're already doing. We're already under persecution. And, and what I think James is saying is, I think that he's giving a recipe for individual circumstances. But in fact, that's not what James is doing. When you look at the context and in its an original tone and language, what James is doing is that James wants to cover an entire spectrum of what you can approach God's throne about. And so what James is saying is, hey, listen, are you hurting? Pray. Hey, are you, in, are you rejoicing? Are you having an amazing time? Did you find an extra onion in your french fries at White Castle? You should celebrate God with victory. He's saying, listen, you can approach God about anything and everything and by anyone. And the first thing I want you to write down for today's notes is this, that prayer shouldn't just be a casual experience, it should be a consistent practice. Prayer shouldn't be a casual experience, it should be a consistent practice. And let me remind you again what James's heart here is. What James's heart is, he's not looking to condemn anybody for them not being consistent in their prayer. What James is doing is remember that he's writing to the 12 tribes of Israel and he's saying, hey, remember guys that if you've placed, placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is your savior, this is what your life ought to look like. 
This is what you ought to be living like. And so he's not doing it from a place of you need this for, for salvation. He's doing it from a place of because you've been saved, now you can walk in this. And what he is saying is that you ought to be making a practice of your prayer life. You ought to be connecting with God, not for the sake of consistency, just for consistency, but when you have a relationship with God, you begin to live a consistent life of prayer because there is nothing that you cannot go to God with or for. And so here's what he's saying. Your whole life should revolve itself around the throne room of God. He's saying your soul, your energy, the totality of who you are, whether it's a night season of suffering or it's a day season and, and a morning season of joy, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is, you can come to the throne room of God and there is nothing that will stop you or deny you from going to the throne room of God. No matter how poor you are, it won't stop you from seeking God. No matter how far you are, it won't stop stop you from finding the throne of God. No matter how broken you are, it will not stop you from crying out to God. There is nothing. So what is he saying? Hey, let me tell you something. Are you going through it? You should pray. Are you, are you living your best life? That's a good time to pray. Oh, let me tell you, did she just break up with you? <laughs> you should pray. Oh, you just found a woman of God. You should pray. Oh, you're healthy. You ought to be bringing that to the throne room of God. Oh, your health is declining. You should be praying. Oh, you just got fired. You should pray. Oh, you got a promotion. You should pray. Here's what James is saying. Listen, the list can continue and it can go on and on and on. But there's nothing that has denied you access from revolving your entire existence around the throne room of God. If you believe that in this praise, give God a praise. Say, why should you pray? Because, because God has made himself available to you and is inviting you to commune with him in fellowship. Because prayer is not meant to be a last resort. It's meant to be a first response. See, prayer is not meant for us to do it as optional or occasional. It's meant for us to, to take part in it often. Prayer is not simply for isolated situations, but it's for intimacy with God. Prayer is never meant, see, we can live a life of prayer that can be casual, and I just, I just connect with God when I can, or I speak to God when I can, but James is saying that we ought to be living a life that has consistent practice of prayer. And again, it's not for the sake of discipline or just being dedicated to prayer, but it is to say that because I love God, because I have a relationship with God, then my life is revolved around the throne room of God. There is nothing that will stop you from coming to the throne room of God other than yourself. So I don't want my life to be dictated by my circumstances. I don't want my prayer life to simply be dictated by my circumstances, but I want my circumstances to be dictated by my prayer life. That because I'm revolving my life around the throne room of God, that when I speak to the mountain, it has to move. Why? Because I've been revolving my life around the throne room of God. And, and hear me, look, I know that there are things in life in our journey with Christ that could be supplemental and that can be effective in our spiritual growth. But can I be honest, as your pastor today, like, let me be clear, like, there is nothing that can replace prayer. There is nothing that can replace spending time with your daddy and spending time with God. Listen, I know, I know may, many times we're like, oh, I need to go to that next conference. I need to make sure I got to hear my message on YouTube. And, and that's all good. Listen, I listen to YouTube. I, go to, I, I listen to preachings on YouTube. I love hearing a message from maybe my favorite preacher or my favorite uh, 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 a speaker. But there is nothing that can replace you yourself connecting with God. 
God in an intimate way. You don't need another conference. You just need to pray to God. You don't need another YouTube clip. You just need to connect with God. And here's what James is saying. Listen, when you connect with God, he becomes your preacher. He becomes your minister. He becomes your spiritual father. Maybe you're like, Pastor Roy, I don't, I don't even know how to pray. Have you ever felt like that? I, I really, you know, I kind of taught that I was supposed to say a couple of things, and I really don't know how to pray. So what do I do? I, I, that's why I don't pray often. That's why I don't make a consistent attempt to pray because I don't really know what to say, or I don't know. I look at other people, and I, they pray so much better than me. I look at the pastor, and they look like they could pray but, but success is not accomplished by something you do occasionally. Success is accomplished by something you do consistently. And so what if I told you that the key to having an amazing prayer life is just showing up to pray? What if I told you that the key is just being consistent in our prayer? And, and I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, that long-term consistency will trump short-term intensity. Long-term consistency will always trump short-term intensity. And, and I, I was showing my, my daughter a move in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And this move is called the Americana. And it's a move that you lay, as you have your opponent on the floor. See, I don't just preach and teach you the word. I could teach you some moves too, you know what I mean? As you lay, as you lay on the floor... You have your opponent on the floor. You then begin to grab and wedge their arm this way. And you bring their arm, their elbow, the goal is to bring the elbow in and up. And your elbow is not created to bend that way. And so it messes up your shoulder when you turn your shoulder. And that's how you submit somebody. So I'm teaching my 10-year-old daughter this move. And we're practicing it and we're going over it and... At the end of our session, it was about half an hour that we were practicing, she goes, Daddy, but what if I have to use this move and I don't do it right? And I said, baby, do you think that the, by the time you need to use this move, this will be the only time we would have practiced this? I said, baby, we're going to practice this every single weekend until you master it. So guess what? Today you don't know how to do the move perfectly. But guess what? After a hundred times that you've done the move, you'll be able to do that on the spot. And here's what, I'm, here's what I want to tell our church today. Hey, guess what? When, when we begin to pray, your prayer life might look like this. God, I thank you for today, and I'm grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how Lisa started praying. Can I be honest? She said, Lord, I pray for my family and kids in Jesus' name. Now you can't stop her from praying. She'd be like, Father, and let me include Haiti and Africa. And she prays for all the nations. And Lisa will go in and she will not stop praying. But guess what? It started in one room at one moment at one time. Because here's the truth. You're going to need the manifestations of prayer before you need the manifestations of prayer. Before you ever go into battle and fight the Goliaths in your life, you're going to have to have a resume of defeating the lion and the bear in your life as well. And so many times in our life, we're like, oh, I want to have the victory. And the victory is not always won in public. Many times the victory is won in private. And I'm telling you, you will fight less with people when you're winning the victory in private. <laughs> You stop trying to grind so hard on, in public when you're winning the war in private. And so today, I just want to give you this scripture. It says, Romans chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. But guess what? It doesn't matter what the results look like at times. What matters is that we are connecting with our God that we are in communion and that we are fellowshipping with God. And so I, I just wrote five things that maybe will help you be more consistent in your prayer life. How many can use maybe, let's be honest, how many can use 
just a little bit more consistency in your prayer life. Or you're like, Pastor, I think I would love to be more consistent in my prayer life. And so there's some things, I, again, I'm not perfect, but there are some things that I, throughout the years that I've used as, as, as uh, encouragements or tools that will help me keep a consistent prayer life. Here's the first one. Number one, choose a time and a place. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, choose a time and a place. Number one, choose a time and a place. If you're ever going to become consistent in your prayer life and have a consistent practice of prayer, the first thing you want to do is choose a time and a place. You're going to say, hey, I'm going to choose at 9 a.m. or I'm going to choose 15 minutes before I usually work, wake up or I'm going to choose at 7 p.m. every single night to take a time and devote it to God. Maybe you're saying, oh, okay, now I want to choose a place. Can I be honest with you? For some of us, it has to be the bathroom because you got to lock yourself away from your kids, your husband, your wife, everybody. It's just me, you, Holy Spirit, and the toilet. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you just got to lock yourself in that bathroom. Like me, I turn on the candles, I flush the toilet, and give glory to God. And so you need to select a time and a place. It's going to be very difficult for us to have a consistent practice of prayer when we're leaving our time and prayer with God up to chance. Like, I'll get there or I'll do it here and there. But if you choose a time and a place, you say, God, I'm going to meet with you at 9 a.m. I'll give you an example. So every morning I wake up at 8 a.m., and from 8 a.m. to about 10.30, I've devoted that time to God. I don't answer any text messages. I don't answer any emails. I don't do nothing in those two and a half hours because I've devoted that time as my quiet time to God. Maybe you're saying, Pastor Ro, you sound real super spiritual right now, and I can't do that. Maybe you're saying, what if I took 20 minutes? Well, I took 15 minutes and I said, God, I'm going to meet you at 7 a.m. every morning before I go to work and I'm going to devote it to God. Here's the second thing. Ready? Eliminate distractions. Eliminate distractions. Have you ever been in prayer and got a text message? Have you ever been focused on something and you saw a YouTube clip? Three hours later, you're going down the wormhole of YouTube. And now you are finding every single conspiracy, and now you're finding every comedian, and now you're finding every source of entertainment, and it started by, oh, I wanted to pray. Here's the third thing. I'm telling you, this is so helpful. This is so helpful right here. Here's the third thing. Include the Bible. Include the Bible. Pastor Roy, what do you mean? What I mean is that many times we don't know what to pray is because we don't know how to pray. And the reason that we don't know how to pray is because we don't include God's word. So how can I declare victory over my life if I'm not declaring the scriptures over my life, right? And so we start getting super spiritual or we start quoting stuff that, you know, Tony Robbins told us. Or, and we're like, oh, in the name of Jesus. And amen. Those are positive professions. All glory to God, right? But at the end of the day, we want to be able to include the scriptures in our life and declare no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Amen. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am the lender and not the borrower. I am the righteousness of, I want to be able to, as I pray, I want to be able to include the Bible. So many times you need to just bring your Bible, bring your Bible, go into the book of Psalms, go into the book of Proverbs and just begin to declare God's word. Maybe you want to go to the sayings of Jesus. You want to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, and say, I'm going to declare the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the light of the world. Guess what? I am the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. I, and you start declaring these things over your life in prayer. Fourth thing I want to give you is you want to have a prayer guide. What do, you, what do I mean? Have a, a, a model of prayer. Can I give you my model? Is that all right? Can I give you my model? I'm waiting to hear an amen, a yes, or some. Come on, some. There you go. Go ahead, preacher. I feel good right now. Uh, m- my model of prayer is that I take the first 30, well, for me, it's I take the first portion just in worship. I call it adoration. 
So what I do is that I begin to worship God for the first portion of my life. Let's say we take the first 15 minutes of prayer. Or maybe for you, you're saying, Pastor Roe, I got only 15 minutes. Well, maybe you take first five minutes of prayer. And you say, I'm going to dedicate that time just to worship God. And you begin to lift up the name of Jesus. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to. Don't leave me alone here. To worship you. Right? You begin to worship God in the first. That's called what I call adoration. The second part is admission. So what you're doing is you're confessing, you're declaring, you're saying, God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I am in need of a savior. But you're also coming in agreement. I use that word A, so I'll give you three A's. Number one, adoration. Number two, admission or agreement. I come in agreement with the word of God. So what I will do at that moment is that I'll begin to declare God's word over my life. That's why I say I include the word of God. And so what I'll do is I'll read, during that time, I'll read the Bible. I'll take that, let's say the next five minutes, and I'll read the Bible. And I'll come into agreement with what the word of God says over my life or over my situation. The other day I was struggling with a promise that God, I believe God declared over my life. Can I be honest with you? I was doubting. Anybody ever doubted the promise of God? Let's be honest. I've been in the season in my life, and I was just like, man, God, you know, I'm 30-ish now right now. I'm 30-ish right now. And I'm like, I thought by 30-ish, I'd, I'd, I'd have some things down-packed. And you promised me this word, and you, you spoke over my life. And prophet A and prophet B came over, and they spoke a word over my life, and they declared that over my life. And I still haven't seen it happen. And I began to feel like Abraham, where I was doubting the promises of God. And I was about to make my own Ishmael, and God said no. And in that time, as I was reading the word of God, he began to confirm in his word that his promises are yes and amen. So what did I begin to do? I began to pray. And then the third thing I use as a model of prayer is that that's when I go into asking. That's when I now say, God, I want to lift up so-and-so. I want to lift up this situation. See, many times in prayer, what we do is that we just go straight to lifting up the situation. But if you started prayer by lifting up the name of Jesus then declaring who you are in Christ. Now you can ask with authority. Why? Because you've made him greater than your mountain. Come on, somebody. And so the fifth thing I want to give you here is you have, you have a prayer, God, and then the, the fifth thing is have a prayer list. Have a prayer list. Be intentional about your prayer life. So here's the prayer list. Have a prayer list. So this is my prayer list. In the Dream Team, we have an app called Slack. And I go into the Dream Team membership of Slack. And I go through every single person that is listed on the Dream Team Prayer Slack. Or the Dream Team Slack channel. And I begin to pray for every single... And I'll give you an example. This is exactly what I would do. I will take out my phone. It'll be no notifications. I will go into my Slack. I will go into Dream Team. I will go into Members... I just went into the design team. <laughs> I go into members. We have 41 members of our dream team. Can we praise God that we got 41 dream team members? And so what do we look? We have first person, on, it goes by, it goes by um, alphabetical order. So the first person on my prayer list every day is Andrea. I'm going to be honest, is Andrea. And I begin to lift up Andrea and I lift up to Jesus. I pray for her life. I pray for her calling. Second person right now, Angelica just joined our team. So I begin to pray for Angelica. Third person is Bianca, then Brittany, then Daisy, then Drew, then Dyron, then Emily, then Emmanuel, my son. That's, I pray for my son too because he's on the dream team. Come on, somebody. Then Frank, then Jaquette, then Jay Jenny, then Joe, then John, then Karina, then Kevin, then Lisa, then Lewis, then Maylene, then Marcus, then, then Marcos, because we got two of those, and then Marlon, then Melinda, then Matinka, then Odin, then Orlando, then Osalina, then myself, and then Ruben, and then Safia, and then Sheila, and then Sherry, and then Stephanie, and then Susan, and then Trisha, and then Vanessa, and then Victor, and then Victor Solano, because we got two of those, and then Zabdiel Cruz, come on, like I just begin, so you have a list, and you just begin to pray for people. James is saying, listen, man, you, you're never going to be able to have the victory if you don't see your life 
surrounded around or around the throne room of God. And so I want to have every reason to find my life in God's throne. So he goes on to say then, are there any sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. This is so important because I don't know about you, but so many times when I'm going through it, I don't want to ask for help. I feel like sometimes you're, oh, somebody else is burdened. Like, how am I going to burden them with my burden when I know they got the burdens of their own? And I get it and I understand it, but what James is saying is that, listen, if you are in need of healing, you ought to go, you ought to, go to the elders. And so many times in life, I mean, this is talking about physical healing, but I think that in our day and age, we can talk about so many other things that we can go to others in the Lord that have been serving God much longer than we have. For me, I've been serving God for 18 years. My mentor has been serving God longer than I've been alive. And I have two to three people that I go to that any time that I'm in, in a moment of crisis or any time that I'm in a moment that I have failed and I've fallen short or maybe a time that I've, I've spoken to a wife, my wife in a wrong way or maybe time that I fell in sin when I shouldn't have been doing the thing and, I, and I've walked into those things. I've had to go to the elders and I said, hey man, I need healing in my life. Would you help me? And God has used them to pray over my life and see my life healed, whole, and healthy. This is what James is saying. He's saying, listen, don't just walk around with a victim mentality. Oh, I'm this way. This is how I am. This is who. No, I'm sick. I'm not going to put my burdens on somebody else. He said, no. He says, it's your responsibility. Look what it says. It says, to call the elders. He says, not that the elders call you. It's my responsibility that if I need help, that I can go to the elders and ask for help. This is what he's saying, like, oh, nobody, have you ever been there, like, oh, no, I've, I've done, like, nobody loved me, nobody called me, nobody texted me, nobody, 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 and you be singing that song in your mind with the 808 drums? He says, no, it's your responsibility that if you're in need, that if you're in help, man, you call on the elders of the church, they're going to pray for you, and you're going to unlock, unlock an anointing from their life into yours. And so the second thing I want to give you here is as we read verse 16, it says, and if you have committed any sins, hear me, look what it says, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Conf what? Confess your sins to each other. Here's the purpose. Yeah, you got to confess your sins to each other. Why? I don't need nobody in my business. Nobody needs to be in my business. No, no, no. Confess your sins to each other. Here's why. So that, anytime you see so that in the Bible, it's a purpose statement. So what it's saying is like, here's the reason why you ought to be confessing your sins to one another. It's so that, here it goes, so that you may be healed. Ooh. See, the earnest praise of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Here's the second observation that I made out of, the, out of, out of this text, and it's this. Uh, prayer shouldn't just be confessing your sins to God, but also confessing your sins to others. Yeah, I, I knew I wasn't going to get no amens on that one. No amens. Just straight up, really, pastor. That's what you're telling us. Really. That's what James is saying. Prayer shouldn't just be confessing your sins to God, but also confessing your sins to, no, to all that. Here, here's what's happening. What James is doing is saying, hey, you can't just confess your sins to God and not confess your sins to other people. You can't have this uh, get out of jail free card because you, here's what's going to happen. You're going to make it to heaven. He says, if you have sin, God will forgive you for it. But just because we're making it to heaven doesn't mean that we're going to experience heaven on earth. And I'll show you, there's this intertwining, there is this connection between our confession to God and our transparency with others. There's this intertwining with our prayer life and our honesty and our sincerity with others. I'll prove it to you. We can go to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is my second least favorite verse of the Bible. In the same way, you husbands, any husbands in the house? 
You husbands give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. This is talking about physical, the weaker vessel in terms of physical ability. But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. What? Like what? Like, like I'm, I'm mad at Lisa. Her and I are arguing. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. She can easily say, well, God is going to hinder your prayers because you still got to fix this right here. See, this is intertwining between our prayer life and our transparency. Look what, look what uh, Matthew chapter 5 says. Matthew chapter 5 puts it this way. It says, so if you are standing before the altar in the temple offering a sacrifice to God and suddenly remember that a friend has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar and go apologize and be reconciled to him and then come offer your sacrifice to God. What is he saying? He's, James, James in his letter He's addressing this kind of mentality that I'm going to go to God. I'm just going to confess my sins. He's the only one that needs to know my business. And I'm going to continue living the way I live, but I'm not going to be held accountable to anyone. And I'm not going to share what God is convicting me of with anyone. And what happens is in our lives that we, have, we begin to have the tendency of saying, God, forgive me. Your grace covers me. And then we begin to live a pattern of sin in our lives. And I know this is not a popular message talking about sin anymore. I know it's not popular to talk about how we have sin in our lives and we could live many times in a lifestyle, in a pattern of sin and uh, day after day. And, and if you're new here, I'm not talking about someone that has placed their faith in Jesus and, and is new and is growing and is developing. Uh, what I am talking about is what James is sharing. He, he's talking about a mentality that says, I'm just going to go to God for forgiveness yeah, he's going to forgive me. That's what James says. If you have sin and you confess it, God will forgive you. But he also says, but here's how you get healing. See, if you want salvation, confess your sins to God. And he's going to save you. But if you want healing in your life, the process of that happens through intimacy and relationship with others. See, I don't know about you, but I need someone to hold me accountable. I need someone that can get in my face and talk to me. I need someone that can tell me when I'm wrong. And many times we don't have somebody in our life that can tell us, hey man, that's not cool, that's wrong. I know that God can change you. I know that God can heal you. I'm going to hold you accountable. We're going to hold arms and we're going to walk this thing through together. God didn't call any of us to live as these lone ranges. There was a man by, in the Bible by the name of David. Many of you know him. He's known as King David. I just uh, referred to him earlier about slaying the lion, uh, the, the, the giant Goliath. But what took place in David's life is that David was then king and he sees a woman taking a bath when he should have been fulfilling his purpose. Here's what was happening in the Bible. The Bible says when the kings of the day were at war, uh, David was in a balcony watching a woman take a shower. And here's what he did. He was, he called on her, he brought her to his courts, and he began, and then he laid with her. But it doesn't stop there. Y'all thought the Bible was boring? Man, there's some drama in the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that he sleeps with this woman, and it doesn't stop there. He gets her pregnant. And when he gets her pregnant, here's what takes place. He then summons for her husband because she was married. He summons for her husband. He brings her home. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I know you've been at war all this time, but I want you to go lay with your wife. Be merry. Have a good time. You know what he says? Uriah says, David, how could I go sleep with my wife when my men are at war? I need to be, go out there and defend your name as king and defend this, 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 uh, this, this, this kingdom. I will not go lay, lay with my wife. He then now sends this man to the front line of the army. 
he sends him with a letter telling the commander, hey, bring Uriah all the way to the front so that he can be the first one killed. And he ends up killing a man that was willing to die for him. And so he covered it all up. It's gone. Now, Uriah's wife is a widow. Now he can marry her, Bathsheba, he can marry her. And it's all gone. It's all covered up. I fixed it. It's gone. It's concealed. It's hidden. And the Bible says the prophet Nathan comes to him and he says, listen, there was a man that had a bunch of sheep and he took the sheep of a person who had only one and he killed him and he slaughtered him. What should be done with this man? And David indigni- uh, uh, comes and undignified comes and says, we should kill that man. And Nathan looks at David and he says, that man is you. What do you mean? See, because before David could get healing and restoration, what he had done needed to be brought to the light so that it can be dealt with. Now, I don't know about you today, but there's been times in my life, and if I can have a moment of transparency with our church today, I would say this, that there was, there's things in my life that I thought that I can keep between me and God alone. And I remember that there was times in my life where, where I committed a sin and I would just say, God, that's between me and you. You forgive me. Your grace is good. And I move on. And guess what? I became good at hiding and covering up my sin. And it was until one day God says, you ought to confess your sins to your wife. I said, devil, get thee behind me. And I remember that, that moment in my own life where God said, if you confess your sins to your wife, I will heal you. And I had to take a moment a few years ago, maybe about just a few years ago. I, I don't want to tell you the exact time. Don't be doing no calculations. Anyhow, I've been coming to this church about this time. Stop it. And can I be honest with you? The moment I confessed those sins to my wife, the Holy Spirit healed me. And I've never gone back to those sins again. Can we just praise God for that in a moment? I don't want to live a double life. I don't want to live this life where I, where I look good on a Sunday, but I'm doing something else on a Monday. And James is saying, you want, you want to know how to stop living a double life? Grab somebody by the arm. Call the elders, call the leaders and say, hey man, can you hold me accountable? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be transparent with you because I cannot do this by myself. I need your help. If not, we're like the woman with the issue of blood. What started with a problem in one year ends up being a struggle that we had for 12 years. I remember mentoring a man who was 72 years old. 72 years old, and he's saying, for some reason, I cannot overcome pornography. He says, I've been struggling with this since I was 18 years old. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to, to an age where I couldn't defeat the giants of my generation, and now my kids have to suffer. And now they have to fight the giants that I was called to conquer. How do I overcome those giants by being transparent with those that God has placed in my life for that? And maybe you need to just grab somebody by the arm and say, hey, man, I've been struggling with this. I've been dealing with this and be transparent. And let's be honest, the church has done a terrible job historically on creating an environment and a space where people can be genuine and honest and transparent with one another. We've struggled so much as a community because... For far too long, we've been told to look prim, proper, and polished on the outside while we're dying on the inside. And we rather put on a facade and talk about how great things are going and talk about how spiritual we are, but never really get to the root cause of what we're struggling with. And James says this to us. He says, if you confess your sins to another, you will be healed. Somebody help me out. Is this helping anybody out today? It's just like, 
It's like, Pastor Rowe, this is not what I came for today. I wanted a hallelujah message. Let, let, me, give you, let me give you this quote that, um, that I found from Dr. David Eagleman. As the worship team comes up forward, it says, keeping certain behaviors secret, especially behavior that is seen and understood to be wrong, means continual struggle with yourself. The internal dissonance and lack of sense of personal integrity is draining. The struggle involved in keeping a secret is stressful. This means your brain will register the fact that there are increased levels of stress hormones going through your bloodstream as a result of this struggle. Your brain does not enjoy this stress. Those living duplicative lives live with the stress of keeping a whole section of their life secret from people they see every day and care about. The fact that their hormones due to keeping secrets over and above the effect of the wrong behavior can cause an impairment in the person's ability to stay healthy and function well. Here's science telling us, man, we can't live this way. Here, here's science, a neuroscientist who is who is not a Jesus follower is saying, listen, man, when we choose to subject our lives and our hearts to this state of being, we will never be healed. We will never be healthy. We will never be able to function in society in a way that is productive and healthy. So I don't know about you. I, I want to live a life that's surrounding the throne room of God. Like, God, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm struggling with. And God, thank you for this day. And God, I worship you. And God, you're amazing. And I have all these reasons why I can. There's, there's just unlimited access to the throne room of God. I want to practice this pattern of prayer. But I also want to link arms with Zab. And so if, if we're going to have people that are going to just be honest with us, and share what they're going through with us, man, we got to do a good job with not judging them and not condemning them and not shaming them and not looking down on them and not saying, oh, you're always going to struggle with that. I can't believe you did that again. I can't believe you fell again. I can't believe. No, 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 no. It says when you confess your sins one another with one another, you should pray. It doesn't say you should point. It says when someone confesses their sins to you, it doesn't say you should point. It just says you should pray. Yo, let's go. God, his sin is this, my sin is this. His sin is this, my sin is this. His struggle is this, my struggle is this. His pain is this, my pain is this. And you lock arms with someone. And then it says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. That's the prayer. This is the last point I want to give you today, and you can stand up on your feet as I share this with you. Here's what the answer is. The answer is that prayer shouldn't be about how powerful you are, but how powerful the God you are praying to is. It's like I want to learn how to pray powerful. The power is not in the person who prays. The power is in the God we're praying to. And that's why it's so important to me that I have the throne of God with unlimited access. Because it doesn't matter how powerful I am if I'm praying to the wrong thing or the wrong one or the wrong. But I could be weak. And in my weakness, he's strong. I could be weak, but if I'm connected to the power source, it doesn't matter. Prayer shouldn't be about how powerful I am. Oh man, I've been, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I feel spiritual, my prayers are going to be answered. No, no, no. Prayer shouldn't be about how powerful you are, but how powerful the God you are praying to is. I'll prove it to you because he says, look at Elijah. Look at Elijah. He was a human. Just like you and I. Wait, Elijah? Are you talking about Elijah? The one I know? Wait. When I look at Elijah, can I talk to you about Elijah? Elijah was a superhero. He was like, 
He was like Superman of our day. He was like the Incredible Hulk. He was like Iron Man. He was like Jessica Jones. This is Elijah. Unstoppable. Why? He called fire from heaven and burned an altar. Elijah was so bad that when he had no food to eat, ravens came and fed him. And Elijah was so bad, so strong, so tough. Here's how bad it was. That he never died. He got raptured in a chariot. You know what a young Jewish boy and girl will think about Elijah? They'd be like, Elijah? Do you know how powerful Elijah is? Elijah's so powerful that he prayed for his mentee and his mentee had a double portion of what he had. This guy is powerful. James says, nah. No, he wasn't. He was a man just like you and I because the power wasn't in the man. See, the power wasn't how good Elijah was. The power was, what, it was in how good God was. See, the power wasn't in how powerful Elijah was. The power was in how powerful God is. The power wasn't in how perfect Elijah was. The power was in how perfect our God is. Man, I, I could come to the throne. And the last verse says that if we bring someone to the way of God, paraphrase. He says, we've saved them from death. And this is what James says, and it just, it rips me every single time because in AD 61, James is sentenced to death by the Sanhedrin. The author of this book that we've been studying for the last eight weeks is sentenced to death because he refused to renege on his devotion to Jesus. And history would depict the death of James as someone that was brought to the top of a building and was told, if you don't denounce the name of Jesus, you'll be thrown off. And the way history would put it is that James was thrown off a roof as he stood valiantly towards his devotion to God, to his devotion to Jesus. And here's what many believe were his last words. His last words were the same one he heard his older brother say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is how the story of James ends on this earth. But the last written words we have of James is that we can save people from death. James gave up his life believing that we can save people from death. This is what we pray for. This is why we're connected to God. This is why the power is not in us, but in the God that we serve. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.